This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! And crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing it and miss, thankfully it's over! have won the world championship welcome to benny and the bets podcast can you believe it here's your host terry cushman good evening everyone and welcome to the 149th edition of the podcast covering boston red sox baseball For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on Apple Podcasts. The link to that is right up above your video window, so you can click that right now. Takes you to the uh, link. All of our shows are available, and don't forget to subscribe. Additionally, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Detroit Tigers, sweeping the series three games to nothing. They are now nine back of the first-place New York Yankees and two games back of the second wild card. I am Terry Cushman and am joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and uh, two episodes in a row, just the two of us. How are you doing, Jeremy? Well, to, to comment on just the two of us, it appears that our personalities have scared everyone off. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm doing as well as I have all year, Terry. How about you, buddy? Not too bad. Five out of six on the road trip. Not sure I feel uh, a ton better, but um, but you know we're we're still in it, and uh, the rest of the month and the strategy of which the front office will have is open to interpretation. So I guess for now we'll just roll with it. Well, we're gonna we'll get into all of it. Um, Want to go through the the normal course of things, even though we're a person short, and we can get into all of those sorts of things as we move along here. Sure. Uh, who do you have as your hero for this Detroit Tigers series? Um, I went with Andrew Benintendi, um, simply for the fact that a lot of people could have handled the way that he was basically benched uh, differently. Um, you know, we've been, we've seen it, uh, Hanley at times was, was sent, you know, sat for a couple days and, you know, he would, he would actually bounce back from those things, which is kind of a reversal of his character. Um, but a lot of professional athletes don't handle stuff like what happened to Ben and over the last week. Um, how does he respond? Five of 10, uh, two runs scored, two RBIs hit fourth and fifth. Um, and he's integral to this team's success, both both defensively, uh, producing runs, scoring runs, 
Um, and he was back in a big way in this series, especially on Saturday with the four for six game. So uh, he turned and burned on a couple fastballs too. Uh, he had the triple down the right field line. That ball was in on his hands. Uh, when you can get to that pitch and keep it fair, to me, that's a really good sign. I liken it to a base hit up the middle to show that you're like on the ball. Uh, but when you're when your hands are quick enough to do what he did on that triple, uh, I declared him back immediately. I uh, love the way he responded, and now he can go into the All Star break feeling good about himself. Um, so, and then another thing, credit to Cora and the bench coach, and I I, I doubt Dombrowski was in on it because he would have fucked the whole thing up. But uh, I think Cora and just the the coaching staff handled that situation really well, knew what they were going to get from the player, knew it wasn't going to cripple him. So uh, took a really interesting situation with how bad he was struggling and turned it into a positive going into the All-Star break. So Benintendi's my hero. Yeah, pretty good choice. Um, you mentioned the Cora and the coaching staff. This is Tim Heyer's second year as the Red Sox hitting coach. And we kind of talked about in the last episode how we were basically tied. There was a three-way tie for first place uh, in the batting average uh, category, and there was one other category which the Red Sox were leading. I forget what that was, but quietly this offense has started to figure it out, and you know the coaching staff, like you said, has kind of figured it out for Benintendi and kind of helped his mechanics a little bit. They said his mechanics, you know, his issues with those have gone back since the spring. And, you know, he had issues in the leadoff spot and hasn't really looked comfortable all season, despite the fact that his numbers aren't, you know, glaringly bad. You know, he's just been a little bit off. So hopefully, you know, as you pointed out, you know, five out of ten, couple ribbies, Hopefully this is the turning point for him and, you know, he can contribute to us hopefully staying, you know, number one in a couple of different categories. Yeah, I mean, look, he's hugely important. He's hugely important with, you know, he's going to hit in the top five. So, um, and he has the ability to hit the ball to all different sides of the ballpark. Um you know, I, and he's he's hugely important defensively because if you take him out and put JD in, you substantially weaken the defense. So, you know, I mean, Ben Intendi is hugely important. He's one of the top. You know, he's after Xander, JD, and Mookie. I think he's the next most important. Well, actually, now Devers has emerged, but he's right there. You know, he's right there. He's hugely important. He's one of your top four or five position players. He's got to be good if this team wants to get where they want to get. You know, you mentioned Devers, and he was two for thirteen, which doesn't sound great, but he was he was productive. You know, even though there was only a couple of hits, he scored three runs, hit a dinger, drove in three. Um, you know, and and Benintendi kind of had a breakout. Do you think they might revisit maybe going Benintendi back in the two and then Devers down to four? I think that's the better lineup if all things were created equal, but they're not right now. Um, this is what 
the change has sparked this team, and I know they played the Tigers and the Blue Jays, so it's like, you know, a lot of people are still rolling their eyes like you got to beat a good team, right? But uh, why would you fuck with Devers? You know, and it's rhetorical because I think you agree with me. Yeah. Um, and then with Ben and Tendy, he's not a five-hitter. He's not a four-hitter. He's not hitting home runs. I think you said it on um, uh, Thursday night or Wednesday night that he had 12 home runs the first half of last year. He's had like 11 cents or something like that. That's just not good enough. You, and Devers is, you know, he had another, He had at least one home run in this series that I remember. He did have um, one. Yeah, so Devers has the ability just to, to rake, and then when he gets hot, plus with his exit velocity, you know, balls find spots with Devers, you know, gaps, you know, where the fielder's one step shy of, cutting it off i mean he just he's he's capable of more and so if you put him into the four spot and ben intending into the two and all things are created equal like i said that's your best version of the boston red sox lineup but that's not what what it is right now and look if if hitting fourth and fifth for ben intendee allows him to get back to what he can be then then keep him there while it's working and then hopefully at some point by assuming this team's going to make a wild card uh, which probably isn't a safe assumption, but let's say they're they're trending in that direction. At some point, Cora flips them back to where they should be, so that they're at their best version for the playoffs. But they they can't worry about that right now. They got to stick with what's working. And uh, I, I think you got to come out. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about Vasquez's role in the lineup too at some point. But um, I just think if this is what's working, I just you you, you know these guys are fragile, and Ben Intendi has shown. Um, a little bit, uh, you know, he's a little more fragile than I thought he was because he went into it real bad there for a while, real, real bad. Bad swings and misses, l- l- lacking plate discipline, which he doesn't lack. Um, you know, and then on the opposite side, you can't get Devers out. And when you do, the ball still hit hard. It's a it's a skimming one hop like a stone off a pond of the second baseman and you know, just tasered all over the place. So I, it's a combination of, this is what got Ben Intendi going, and, and I would just not mess with Devers. Yeah, I mean, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. You know, if Devers is ranking and they want him in the two-hole, that's fine. But if Benny starts raking and, and you go 2-4, that's fine too. Uh, I really I really don't, don't care one way or the other. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I just want them both to be productive, so... They're going to hit somewhere within the top five, like you said. Um, you know, so that that's fine with me. Uh, my hero, and, you know, this player really annoys me. And, uh, you know, you you, got, you know how I feel about him. I, I'd trade him. I'd trade him before July 31st, no matter what, to be honest with you. But Mookie Betts really had a good series. 7 for 13, was getting on base often, scored six runs, drove in three. It seems like he's kind of resigned himself to the fact that he's just going to have to hit for contact. They're not pitching him to the middle of the plate or middle in, which is, you know, his heat zone. That's where he really mashes, and he's going the other way. He's using all parts of the field a little bit more, and, you know, if that's if that's how he has to get it done, so be it. And uh, he, he did have an error this series in the outfield. Him and Bradley both did in the same inning, actually. <laughs> um, I forget which game that was, game one or two. 
And uh, so, but nonetheless, he's starting to hit like the leadoff hitter he was. And uh, he's my hero. Wow, that's kind of weird for you to say that. It's, it just sounds unnatural. I know. <laughs> uh, I like I like Mookie. I'm a huge fan of Mookie. Uh, I, I, you know, I've said it many times. I've likened his athleticism to an NBA point guard playing right field at Fenway Park. Hits the ball to all fields. Uh, can be uh, an elite be, an elite base dealer, although for whatever reason he doesn't assert himself that way. Um, He's instinctual on, in all aspects of the game. He's a second baseman by trade who has made, won an MVP and a gold glove in right field. I mean, he's that dynamic. He is a top five player in the game. He's just not performing that way this year. Um, and this team, again, like Benny, isn't going to get where it's going to go, where we're hoping it's going to go, unless he starts to become who he is. So, again, he's hugely important. Uh, the fact that he got going here before the All-Star break, to me, uh, by the way, this Tigers team couldn't have come at a, a better time for the Red Sox. So, uh, you know, Mookie gets going right in time to now feel good about his all-star break. Um, you know, by the way, you, you can't win an MVP, you know, and by all accounts, you know, he was a clear-cut MVP and then just not make the all-star team the next year. That's just, it just goes to show you how well I think he's underperformed here. Um, with that said, <coughs> sorry, with that said, um, I do, I, I, and I want, because we're both agree, in agreement that we should trade him. I just want to make a point of clarification. The only reason why I think we should trade him is because he's shown no willingness to sign with this team, and I don't want to lose him like Harp, you know, like KD was just lost to the Warriors, you know, like Kyrie was lost to the Celtics, uh, Harper uh, from the Nationals, uh, you know. I mean, you lose these people these players, these assets for nothing when it's they're giving you the signs they're not going to re-sign. It's just stupid. It's not good management of, of the baseball program. So, um, And I don't fault the player for wanting the most amount of money. I, I don't think I would handle it any differently. I, in fact, I think I would handle it. This, I'd like to think I wouldn't, but you know, I, I would probably go for the biggest contract as well, and I don't fault the players that want to do that. Um, but I do fault the team for being stupid enough to sit and lose the asset for no assets in return when this guy can completely rehaul your farm system. We've talked about it a lot, so I'll leave it at that. But uh, it's good to see Mookie get going here before the All-Star break. Yeah, but the key with Mookie is he wouldn't come to the table. So, you know, so we don't really know what the offer was, but it must have started with a three. I don't think the Red Sox... You know, they did think they could get Lester for 70, but um, I don't think they were dumb enough to think they could get Mookie for less than three, you know, this past winter anyway. So that's that's what annoys me, you know, when it comes to bets. And um, much like you, I, I'd rather get something for him. And I think his value is going to be more this month than it will be over the winter. So that that's why I, I wouldn't mind doing it right now. Well, because you're going to get the most term out of the player, and so if that's the case, then teams may be willing to add in another prospect. You know, the major league player you get in return may be a little bit better. Um, I just think that, and, and again, we've talked about this, so I don't want to you know go too far here, but I just think that this 
the way they played last year and the way they're capable of playing this year, I think you owe it to give it one more shot. And because he still has a, f- a full another year of team control, um, I don't think that it weakens the return that much by keeping him to see what happens with this year and then trading him uh, after the season's over. That's me, I, and that's where we differ. We both agree Betts has to go. I don't know that I'm in for it right now unless it's just an unbelievable haul. Because trust me, if they say, here's an outfielder, here's a starting pitcher, here's a bullpen, here's two elite prospects, I'll drive them to the airport. I just don't think they're going to get that right now. And I think if there was offers being made like that, I think there would be some rumblings that we would hear it. Um, you know, but... Um, And and the other thing here is we still have another month. So I I may reverse course if they come out and get swept by the Dodgers and they fall back to 12 games and it's over, you know, in two weeks. Then, yeah, I mean, trade them now because, you know, we got to we got to try to be good next year if that's what's going to happen. But they're trending here in the right direction. We've already talked about two key guys starting to hit. Uh, JD's looking a little healthier. Um, So, you know, it's things are going in the right direction. I just think we table the best trade. Now talk well, at least for a couple. Well, of weeks. I got to point out one more thing though, and and to, I was gonna anyway, and you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder. Um, we do have the Dodgers coming out of the break, and that's gonna be a tough series. There, I think they have the most wins in baseball right now, if I'm not mistaken. And then, as I've covered the last couple episodes, leading into the deadline, we have one four game series with the Yankees and a three-game set against Tampa. So, like you're saying, that's, you know, that could say a lot, you know, especially if we don't perform well. But here's one final question, then we'll definitely move on. If, I'm trying to figure out how I want to put this. If we don't trade him now, see, the fan base is already upset. You know, and that maybe this last road trip since since London, maybe that's kind of kind of simmered things a little bit, and you know nobody's you know on the edge of the cliff right now. But say we don't trade him and we just go for it, we go for the wild card, and and you know we try to make the best of what we have. But then next year. Say we, you know, we're sputtering again. Say we're in a similar position and everybody's going to be madder that much longer. And if you're a guy like Dombrowski and you've been on the hot seat for a year and a half, maybe, uh, you know, trading Mookie, if Dave Dombrowski has to trade Mookie next year on July 31st, 2020, that's probably the move that gets him fired. Okay. So he can wait and gamble or he can trade him now while everyone's you know kind of just kind of going with the flow here a little bit you know and and we're not going to get much madder than than we already are so i mean does that does that do anything really so here's my concern about waiting beyond at least pitchers and catchers if let's say next july 15th you're 60 and 30 you can't trade bets in the middle of a pennant run you can't no absolutely not so you're fucked 
because you are going to lose him for nothing. So it's a good point. Uh, hadn't thought of that. Totally agree that you have to trade him now or in the offseason because this look, the team, the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. They have too much talent. Xander resigned. I strongly believe JD is going to be here. Benny Vasquez is emerging. The pitching staff is is all coming back except for Porcello. They're going to address the bullpen. They have no choice. They're going to get better in the bullpen. So, uh, and we're starting to talk a little bit too much about 2020, in my opinion. But you cannot go into pitchers and catchers and then have the team revert back to an elite program. And then you you I mean you. You just can't trade him. You can't do it. You have now. You lose this tremendous athlete, uh, asset um, for nothing. And what what if you go to the World Series and lose in five games, and then he walks for and you get nothing back? Like you just you can't allow that to happen. I'm sorry, you can't. And I do like Mookie. I want him to be a Red Sox. He won't be, but I, that doesn't mean I don't want him to be. So it's just look at the end of the day. Let's see what happens in the next two weeks as far as trading him this year, because I don't think that's out of possibility, especially if the Dodgers kick our ass out, out of the All-Star break, which I think is going to happen. Um, but then, no matter what happens, I don't care if you get hot and win another World Series. I don't care if you wind up losing 78 games and you miss the playoffs by 10 games. You have to trade him in the offseason. You have to. You just can't let that sort of... Tremendous you know, homegrown talent slash asset go for nothing. You just can't. Yeah, and if it does happen, I I the longer it goes, the the slimmer I feel like the chances are of it happening. The the more I read into other things, and but I just feel like if it does happen, the Red Sox they just need to be honest. They just. If they give the timeline of the last year and a half, this is what we tried two winners ago. This is what we tried last season. We offered this this past season. I think people would understand. And remarkably, I've been noticing online more of an openness on social media, I should say, more of an openness you know, towards the fan base, it's really about 50-50 that would be willing to trade him. That's what it looks like to me. And... I'm I'm different, you know. Like I say, and I, I think you you look at value probably more than than you did maybe a year or two ago. Just how I read into it, I, I figured it would be seventy five not in favor, twenty five percent in favor. But it's fifty fifty, you know, in terms of doing it. So th- there's there's a lot of strategy, you know, in terms one more, of doing it. One more thing. One more thing before we move on from this, Terry. Sure. Just so we're very clear, my preferred resolution is $300 million for 10 years. That's my preferred resolution. I want the player. I want him to be here. I just don't want to pay him $400 million for twelve years, for 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is. I just don't. He's young enough that I could swallow the back two or three years if he winds up falling off. But I, it's just not going to happen. I think they've offered that to him. I think Dombrowski literally called like a press conference by a Dunkin' Donuts so that everyone knew that they were trying to give him $300 million and Mookie didn't bat an eyelash at it. But that's the preferred. I just want people to know. Like I'm not, I don't want Mookie out of town. I want Mookie here. I want him here at 10 years, uh, $300 million. Um, but it's not going to happen, folks. And so you know, it, the next step in the evaluation is what, is what we've talked about. 
making sure you get something for this just tremendous once in a lifetime athlete um, because he's going to go sign wherever it's going to pay him the most money. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm all I'm all for it, and we could use a top pitching prospect. You know, someone similar to Erod that might kind of emerge at a little bit quicker of a pace, but. Fair enough. Uh, we'll get into our zeros now. Uh, who do you have? Um, my zero is Porcello. He, something's going on with him, and I, I don't. It's just surprising because um, he's in a walk year and a contract year, and he still has good years left. So he's really pitching himself out of a lot of money. Um, so it's just surprising. I, I think he's healthy. He's never had any health concerns. I think he had like a twisted ankle or a high ankle sprain or something like seven years ago when he was a young pitcher in the in the Detroit system. That's the only thing I can, that comes to mind with this guy. He's tremendously healthy. His mechanics are, you know, elite level, and that's one of the reasons why he just doesn't have problems. He doesn't have elbow problems. You just don't hear about it. Um he sucked. He sucked again in this series. Five and two thirds, nine hits, six runs, all earned, a walk, and he gave up two home runs. Um, and again, you know, like like Chris Sale and his White Sox start. Um, I honestly don't understand. These guys are super competitive, and usually those guys come and pitch well against their former teams. But for whatever reason, he isn't doing that, and it's surprising. Um, it's three bad starts in a row. It's like four bad starts out of his last five. I honestly don't know what's going on with the player. I wish uh, there were more answers. I, I do think he's healthy. He's a no-excuse you know, no excuse guy, which I respect. But, um, you know, and then there's little to no value to trade him for two reasons. One, who else is going to pitch? And two, even if you even if Valdi went back in the starting rotation and somehow a young guy emerged or they traded for a guy, what are you going to get for him? Uh, the way he's performing and with an expiring contract. So, I don't know, man. He's a problem. He continues to be a problem. And we talked on the flip side about Ben Benintendi and Mookie treading the, trending the right way going into um, the All-Star break. And one of the reasons why I picked Porcello is because he's the antithesis of that. He is absolute struggle city going into the All-Star break. And I'm going to be sitting at home this week wondering what the fuck he's got to do to get right. So, Porcello's my zero. Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't be giving up, you know, five runs to the Tigers. And he was cruising through the first three innings, and then, you know, he gave up a home run to, uh, I don't know how you say it, Jameer Candelario. And uh, that was a two-run shot, and then he kind of settled down and then just fell apart in the sixth inning. And, uh was charged with four more runs. Um, so not a good one. And Candelario got him again. So he, he accounted for three out of the six all on his own. But not good, like you said, if that was against the Dodgers. Excuse me. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the uh, Astros. That might have been a, a much worse start than than what it was. That being said, I, I think... I think he showed a little bit more improvement just based on the first few innings uh, than Chris Sale did. You know, Sale had a decent first inning in his last start the series before. 
uh, you know, struck out the side in the first inning, and then it was an absolute grind. So, you know, I both of them need to turn it around for us to, you know, get going. We're the number one offense, but the reason where our pitching stats are so bad, I think we uh, going into yesterday, we the rotation collectively had a four seven six ERA, so not good. Not good. And uh he'll go game three of the Dodger series, so I guess we're gonna we're gonna find out on Sunday um you know where he's really at, but Well why not why not Erod? True. And let's we'll we'll say we'll save that, but why that let's put a pin in that. But Erod, while still not pitching deep in games, first in in the opener here. He he improved his record to nine and four, but he only went five innings. But he was effective. Four hits, one run. It was earned based on ball four strikeouts. And it, you know the Red Sox, you know he left with a pretty big lead. So it just I don't know. I think Erod seems to be the better option. Although you're you're I mean Porcello, even as bad as he pitched, still gave you you know more as to, as far as length into the game but if if the length into the game is to be six earned runs i mean yeah it well, just that, seems to me like it should be Iran. that would put three straight lefties so i i don't know if they'd be crazy about that um i but i th- i agree that Erod definitely gives you the better chance and you know he was phenomenal in game 4 of the world series against them so you know there's a lot of reasoning you know behind why that would be beneficial but um that kind of leads me into my zero actually it's not erod but i'd like to start it off by pointing out um erod was the pitcher before uh the guy that i'm gonna give for my zero uh like you said rodriguez went five innings gave up just one earned run his pitch count was only at 67 so that was probably going to be a seven-inning appearance had the rain not come. And I, I think that ended up being a two-hour rain delay, so there was no chance. You're right. You're right. He was. He was actually more efficient. I I'm, I, and I watched. I spaced it there, yeah. I got trapped in a box score. You're right. No, he was much better. He, and he would have pitched seven innings, no question about it. I believe so, yeah. And then so the rain delay forced uh, Marcus Walden to come in, and uh, Walden – Basically sucked. Uh, I got some numbers right here. Um, his game log. But actually, in that game, uh, Walden gave up four runs. Only two of them were earned. But got knocked around pretty bad. A uh, couple of hits and uh, one walk. And just really hasn't been pitching well. And he was one of the bright spots earlier in the year. He had either an upper a one something ERA or a lower twos and now it's it's approaching uh, a four ERA. He's currently at 374 but in his last several games starting with the most recent one, he's given up two hits, one hit, three hits, one hit, two hits. In fact that's seven seven appearances in a row in which he's given up at least one hit. Um, strikeouts are down compared to where he was at, and 
you know, he's given up three appearances ago. He gave up four earned runs. So this is a guy that I think he needs to be shifted into a mop-up role until he gets it together. And Hembree came back, gave up a dinger, but otherwise pitched well. And then I think today, uh, yeah, he closed out the game uh, with a scoreless inning. So pretty decent bounce back for him. So maybe, you know, maybe Hembree kind of slots into a higher leverage role. But every time I see Walden warming up, I keep telling myself, I hope he, I hope he's got it figured out. And I, I hope this is the appearance that he turns it around. And it, it, it's not getting turned around. Yeah, I just have to disagree with that. The two things I'll add is um, he made his debut um, in his age 30 year, you know, this season. So I think that just goes to show you that he just is, and, and, you know, and then watch him pitch. He doesn't have elite stuff, okay? He just doesn't. And if he did and he was raw, you would have saw him four years ago. So he is what he is. He's a journeyman, career minor leaguer type of guy you want to root for um and with you know so he is what he is now he probably isn't on 22 other bullpens but that this is the the hand we're dealt because dombrowski's a fuckhead so you know it is what it is now as bad as he's been in the last 10 to 15 days he still is a 3.74 era he still has a pretty good whip at 1.18 and he's given you 45 innings at this point of the season. Um, so, And he's pitching in spots that he's figuring in the wins and losses because he's 6-1. and one. So he may be another guy who just isn't used to the workload because he's been in the minors and they slot guys a little bit more down there. And once you're with the big club, if, if you're available and they need it, yeah, that you go. And it doesn't matter what the spot is and how many days you pitched or whatever. You go, you pitch, and um, you know obviously forty-five uh, and two-thirds innings in the bigs is like nothing. Is you just can't compare that forty-five innings on any other level. So uh, hope a guy like this who has had some success comes uh, out of the break with a little bit, uh, you know, the batteries recharged and ready to go because I, I think they're going to continue to count on him. I think he's going to be here, and and until they make trades or whatever happens, he's going to be pitching innings that matter. So, but I mean, yeah, you're right, dead on right. He has not been good, and he deserves the zero label for this series. Yeah, and hopefully he figures it out. Um, just getting into the bullpen in general now, um, Colton Brewer, you know, another guy who's struggling a little bit. Um, I was kind of surprised he came in to, uh, take over for Porcello. He ended up allowing the base runner to score. So that was the sixth and final run charged to Porcello, but, you you're kind of hoping that you know in a spot like that you, you know you have a shutdown guy and he's a guy who who's been struggling so I was a little disappointed that Cora went with him. I mean, look, the whole bullpen situation is a revolving cast of characters, and it's it's the ultimate flip of a coin. You know, it's like Two Face and Batman. Um, 
you know, you flip the coin and who are you going to get? And it's been that way for everyone, top down. Barnes. Barnes at his best can come out and throw 12 pitches, strike out three guys, no one puts the ball in play, boom, the inning's over. At his worst, he can walk the bases loaded, you know, throw 35 pitches in an inning and not be able to finish the inning. And then, you know, Hembry just came off the DL. Um, his stuff's not as good as Barnes. Uh, he can be really good. I do like that he he's not afraid of the moment, but that doesn't mean he can get the outs when they matter all the time, and he's had some really bad outings. Brazier, for Christ's sake, Brazier, uh, I mean, lost total confidence. The, the guy who pitched in the playoffs last year and in September last year was a shell of himself, and, they, and, and I thought he was the hands-down guy to be the closer. Um, you know, and I, and we've already talked about Walden and, um, there's just, it's, it's a, the whole situation, the whole bullpen is a rotating cast of characters with two face flipping the coin, uh, when the guy's jogging in from the mound, you just don't know what you're going to get. And, and I told you today when prices, uh, pitch count was in the mid eighties, uh, in the fourth inning, I, I, I think I texted you buckle up cause here comes the bullpen and they, you know, they did enough today, but that's the way this thing's going to be, man. And and you know, Dombrowski's not giving any indication that he's going to address it at least in the next 2 weeks. So remain buckled up because every single game's going to be like this. And that Dodgers series, if the pitchers can't go deep in the games, that that team will that that offense will absolutely just destroy this bullpen. Well, two guys are pitching bad enough that it, it won't matter, you know, Sale and Porcello, but hopefully uh you know, the break does them a little bit of good. Um, one guy who's turned it around at least for three starts, you know, or three appearances, so uh, that's not a big enough sample size to say, okay, he's figured it out. But Matt Barnes, scoreless in his last three. He was only in, uh, actually, I think that's, no, that is, yeah, his last three. Um, yesterday, only in for a third of an inning uh, with, runners on base and he got the strikeout and got the team out of the jam i uh, had two full innings well one inning each in his last two appearances got two strikeouts so um hopefully i don't think he's i don't think he's should be the eighth inning guy because I, I think he will fall off the cliff again but we are going to be getting uh some help quick in the form of Valdi and uh, maybe Hernandez. So, you know, if Barnes can keep this up and can be, a you know, somewhat of a situational guy, you know, may, maybe, you know, maybe things get a little more secure back there. And, and while I'm on kind of on that topic, um, Josh Taylor on Saturday, uh, didn't look good, gave up a few hits, and uh, I thought I had it in my notes. Uh, he, he basically gave up a few hits, uh, bases were loaded, and uh, that's when Barnes came in, but Taylor didn't look good in that appearance, even though he wasn't charged with any runs, but then he comes out today pitches two full innings and uh, gets four strikeouts, didn't give up a hit. So he continues to be a guy uh, to keep an eye on as well. 
So if this bullpen gets sneaky good all of a sudden, I think these are two guys that are going to contribute to it. Maybe. I don't say I don't say this often, but I agree with that, and I don't have too much to add. Okay. Um, I mean, look, the only thing I will say is that the big debate right now is Avaldi to the starting rotation or to the bullpen. And I'm kind of surprised by the backlash I've seen on Twitter with fan reactions when that was announced in the middle of this week. Uh, I really, truly thought that it made a lot of sense, not just because this team has such a glaring hole at the back, not not only the back end of the bullpen, just the whole bullpen. So if you slot him in the back end of the bullpen, everyone slots down an inning, and that just deepens your bullpen. Um, but then again, his health being a factor and just not being able to stay healthy, throwing 100 pitches every five days. So I was really, really surprised what I viewed to be the majority of uh, social media Red Sox fans expressing kind of dismay about him being a closer, saying things like it was desperate. I mean, it, to me, it seems very logical. And uh, if I were running the team, um, that's the way I would do it, especially if the players in and in, in agreeing to it. So um, that's the only thing I'll kind of follow up on. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, and look, um, Taylor uh, was awesome last series, and I highlighted he came in in that weird situation where Cora put him in in a 3-2 count. Um, he pitched really good. He pitched with a lot of command, and he throws inside. And I like his stuff. I like his fastball. I like his demeanor. Um, he's a young guy, and I think he's got, you know, he's got to pitch some big innings to grow um, both his comfort level um, to execute when it's the most important, you know, with people on base and such. So, uh, but I do think that he, if this thing is different in a month, he could be one of the guys we look at and go, that guy's emerged. So, but, you know, otherwise I agree with what you're saying. I, I like him. You know, he got off to a bad start. So, you know, his ERA, I think, is still, at least coming in today, was still over four. You know, it might be closer to four even. But, um, you know, uh, definitely a guy I'd, uh, I'm keeping an eye on and I, I love guys that come out of nowhere you know Koji was kind of one of those guys um you know and it was fun to watch and I, well we might never see that again in our lifetime but you know just someone who can emerge and and be a force unexpectedly and Taylor I think has a ton of control you know remaining so all the more awesome it would be um Evaldi, just an update on him he threw a bullpen on Saturday, played catch today, and is slated for another bullpen session on Wednesday. But they're saying still that there's no timetable. So that tells me it's probably going to be uh, at least a couple more weeks. For relievers, their rehab starts tend to be a little quicker because they can pitch, you know, back-to-back days and whatnot and, and – there's not a ton to build up to, you know, once your, um, you, you know, once your command is there, you, you can basically be called up. So at least a couple of weeks out. But let me ask you this question. You talk about the, you know, the vibe on social media and a lot of people want him in the rotation. And the rhetoric I get from Alex Cora as well also seems to be that ultimately they would like him 
in the rotation, you know, but you keep hearing stuff like we'd love him there, but it would take longer for him to build up to it. So he's going to the bullpen. So it sounds like they're not even a hundred percent sold that that's truly what they want. It's just circumstantial that he's going into the bullpen. But I mean, he's a guy whose career numbers just aren't spectacular. I mean, he's got a career four twenty one earned run average. He he doesn't pitch deep into games. There's been no record of that. There's been no precedence of that. So let me ask you this. If he didn't have three solid appearances, two of which were starts last year, and then one was the relief appearance, which was a nine-inning relief appearance, you know, in that 18-inning Dodger game. But if that doesn't happen... What are we talking about right now? Because two weeks before the playoffs last year, we didn't even know what his role was going to be. He wasn't pitching well. And six out of nine appearances last year, well, I should say, his other than his first two, so after his first two, his next six out of nine, he didn't even get into the fifth inning. That's how bad he was. So... <laughs> If that if that magical October didn't take place, what are we talking about right now? Well, that was a long-winded question, and so how I understand it is if October didn't happen, what would Evaldi's role be? And my answer to that question would be, assuming I have it right, is he probably wouldn't be a Red Sox. Now, with that said... I, I'm not a big fan of taking away someone's like high level achievement because it did happen. It did happen in the biggest moment. And then not only was he really good, but he was good in multiple roles, including out of the bullpen. So that's what leads us here today. He did resign as a result. Um, was a fan of I was a fan of resigning him at uh, my my ideal contract was two years, thirty million dollars. Um, I, you know, I also said that if you wanted to go longer on the deal, make it an incentive laden escalator that, that would be conditional on a third year. Uh, they overpaid the contracts problematic, especially cause he hasn't pitched in two months. Um, but it is what it is. He's here. And, and part of right, maybe the majority of the reasons why he's here is cause he did have the October. Um, I, I just, to me, Given the health, given the issues in the bullpen, he's going to be the closer. And look, if you can go get a closer in the offseason, let's say part of moving Mookie in December, January is getting a closer or a bullpen arm or something or, or, or young assets where one of the assets develops into a closer or you, re, or you sign, you use the Pablo Sandoval money to sign a closer and then Evaldi's back in the rotation for 2020, I'm okay with that too. You know, I mean, one thing we know about Evaldi is he's going to do it without an ego and he's going to do what the club wants him to do. So it's nice to have guys like that. Um, now, I wish the, the guy would get healthy. Well, that's you know? just it. I don't I don't believe in that. I'm kind of in Pedroia mode. I, I for the longest time, I was like, there's no way this guy's going to pitch deep into his 30s. In 2017, I was already saying and I still have the tweet. I, I was basically saying he's going to come back in 2018. 
actually, I take that back. I said he's going to miss all of 2018, and then he's going to come back in 2019, and he's not going to have it, and then he's going to retire or, or be done. And I'm the same way with Evaldi. Now, I don't have an issue. I don't have any character issues with Nathan Evaldi because, like you said, he's extremely unselfish. But my confidence in his durability is extremely low. It's fun to watch him throw 100, 101 miles an hour. I think he even hit 102 miles an hour at one point in the playoffs. But his arm is not durable enough to throw that pitch for 150 to 175 innings. It's just, it's not. And I'm never going to be sold on the fact that he might, especially as he's approaching age 30 here. And I just think his value going forward is in the bullpen. And it kills me to see that it's probably only a circumstantial thing because if, say, August 15th, he's had seven or eight relief appearances and then they think, okay, he's built up now, especially if some of those are multi-inning appearances, they might say, okay, he's built up now. We desperately need a fifth starter. That's what we're going to do. We're going to put him into the five slot. The dude's going to flame out. He is absolutely going to flame out and... I don't want to see. I don't want to see that happen. Uh, you know, I hate the fact that we signed him to four years. I, I've been all over that since it happened, and I just think his his best value is as a late inning reliever, and I hope it stays that way. I don't think it will, but I hope it does. I'm okay with whatever his role ends up being. I do like the fact that they're willing to put him in the bullpen because obviously they have to address his health. If they put him in the rotation, he makes two starts and he's done for the year. I mean, it's just not – I mean, so give him a chance to to pitch three times a week, one inning at a time. His fastball is going to be at its absolute best because he can throw 100 in the fifth or sixth inning of a start after 90 pitches. So if he's got a – back and find it you know to get a big out and he can go a little extra knowing he's only going to throw 15 pitches let him be that guy i i just don't see the downside in it and so i think we agree on that a little bit with maybe some of the ancillary factors where we dif- where we differ just because we can't agree on anything i mean three, um, three surgeries in two years though i mean that's that's not great well, yeah let me give it's you four, this and it's four surgeries overall it's a problem. Let me give you this scenario. He's in the bullpen. He's doing good. You desperately need a fifth starter. Another guy who's injury prone, but you may as well ride him like a rented mule. Why not just put Stephen Wright in that role? In the fifth starter role. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. That's what I would do. You know, I I don't have a ton of confidence in his health, but if you're talking late August and you get five or six starts out of him, we probably would have had a better chance with him than you would have with Brian Johnson, Hector Velasquez, or some, you know, some tandem, you know, long relief situation, but... That's what I'd like to see, and you know, when Evaldi comes back, I hope he absolutely thrives in that role, and I, I... 
you know, if if you see the, you know, a bullpen ERA like in the month of August, let's say, and they sucked last August. That was a terrible August bullpen. You know, if the numbers are staggeringly lower in that month compared to the previous three, then, you know, or previous four, actually, um, you know, that's what I'd rather see. Um, just a couple more tidbits here. Uh, Darwin's in Hernandez in two appearances uh, as a reliever. He's uh, scoreless in both of those innings with a strikeout. And he's a guy I think we could potentially see, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, we could see him called up pretty quick because he's already logged some innings, you know, roughly eight or nine innings or so. And so he he knows, you know, he's had a cup of coffee, so he knows what the big leagues are all about. And he mowed down the first four guys he saw in his last start. So he could be a guy that I, I think we could see pretty quick. Yep. They transitioned him quickly. They drew a line in the sand, and the organization made a decision. And, you know, um, he's been he's been good. So uh, another- he, he, he created... He creates an option. I just have some concern about bringing him back up so soon after really a failed first time up. But, yeah. What was the other thing? Uh, Tanner. Is it Tanner Houck? Tanner Hook. I, I don't know how you say his last name. But he's got really good numbers in double A right now as a starter. He has a two-something ERA as a starter. And I saw this in a tweet from Christopher Smith, multiple tweets, he Dombrowski was asked, you know, if Tanner would be an, an option for the bullpen. And Dombrowski was kind of coy about it, but then said, yeah, it's possible. And then on that very night in Portland, Tanner was brought in in late inning relief. <laughs> so another guy to have on the radar. I know very little about him because he's... He's, uh, he was only drafted a couple of years ago, and he's kind of moved up quick. I know that much, and his numbers have been good this year. But uh, he, he wouldn't have been on track to start this year anyway. But in a desperate second half, it, it looks like he might he might get a shot as well. Um, one other guy, Travis Lakins, has been scoreless in nine out of his last ten appearances. Some of those stretch back to late May, I think, and and he had some major league call-ups in between, but 9 out of 10, his ERA is is down to, uh, in that 10 games, 270. And uh, the one thing I do notice, which might be part of his problem, not a big strikeout guy. And pitching to contact, this is the wrong year to be a pitch for contact guy because you can't rely on fly ball outs. A lot of them have been going over the fence, so um, I don't know. But those are three options, Hernandez, Hauk, and Lakins down on the farm. There's going to be opportunities for those three guys, especially if they don't make a move outside of the organization. And I don't think they are. And. And I don't think they are too. And if they do, it's not going to be. They're they're not going to have the upside of Darwin's in and Lakins. 
So they're going to be journeymen. They're not going to because we don't have anything to give for someone to value. So you're going to be taking a flyer on, you know, probably some middling, you know, journeyman reliever who doesn't have plus stuff. So they're going to these guys are going to get an opportunity. They're going to get brought back up at some point, and I'm hopeful that they can catch lightning in a bottle. And it's happened. I mean, there's famous cases of it. Uh, David Price, uh, you know. His in his first stint in the postseason was out of the bullpen with the Devil Rays, and you know, um, uh, Rick Ankiel, uh, you know, there's there's famous cases of you know, Brazier last year, uh, you know, every team seems to have some guy that caught lightning in a bottle, whether it be a young guy who just is, is ready to emerge or whatever, maybe it's a guy who's a journeyman who just has a one off year, um. So I I think I can't believe our game plan is hey we're going to catch lightning in a bottle with one of these young guys but that seems to be where we're going and honestly I I think you agree with me here I think it seems to be our only option because we don't have any assets and we can't trade those guys by the way to get the assets right because those guys are our limited future so you just can't blow up you know whatever future we have you just can't do it so those have to be the options and I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I think the future is is fairly bright. You know, we keep saying that the farm system's depleted, but I think all three of those prospects I I listed probably, you know, will have productive futures. We got a great young core up already. You know, Devers, Benny, Chavis. We're going to have Bogarts the next six, you know, as we mentioned. Uh, I'm I'm kind of an optimist. I don't think I think the Cubs are in a much worse situation. They got huge a ton of bad huge contracts, and their farm they don't have the pieces to do anything this off season and uh, this trade deadline. I mean, and you know, so I just the Indians are in a weird spot. They're well, they're in a similar spot to us where they're going to depend on their youth to kind of make a run you know, for this wild card and maybe even the division. I can't remember if we talked privately or if we talked about it on the last episode, but they're only five and a half out and, and they don't even have Kluber back yet. So I don't, I, I'm not well, counting them out. You know, I, the, uh, the interesting thing is for just to hit the reset button is you and I have a hundred dollar bet on who's going to win the central. And, about a month ago, I sent you a text basically saying, you know, you're right, I'm wrong, you're smart, I'm stupid, you know baseball, <laughs> I don't understand the game. And then all of a sudden, from that moment forward, they've taken a game off per week, and now here we are at the All-Star break, and they've cut the lead in half in like four weeks. So, um, you know, they do, they have start. They have the starting rotation that can cause you problems, and um, they know how to win, and they have uh probably the well definitely a top five manager in base in baseball in my opinion so that's going to be a fun that's going to be a fun race not notwithstanding the fact that you and i made it a little more interesting but one um one interesting dynamic that could you know throw a kink in it for the for the indians is the minnesota twins are basically the only top playoff contender not on Madison Bumgarner's no trade list so he can't block a trade to the Minnesota Twins so I'd love to see that happen because it it makes the Yankees life a little bit 
more miserable. So one more fun fact about the Twins, if we're going to do fun facts. Going into today's play, the Twins needed one more home run to match their home run total from last year. Wow. That is just fucking nuts. And, you know, I mean, that's that's unbelievable, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's July, whatever it is, 7th. You know, and there, I mean, so, I mean, that, that, that team has, under Rocco Baldelli, who's a, a Rhode Island product, um, has just, they're, they're a different team. And they're hitting home runs in a, in a building that is not built to hit home runs. So the power seems, uh, you know, real. Yeah. As someone else matched their, Whatever their season total was last year, I tweeted it, and and now they're they've they've matched that the first week of July, and it might it might have been Kepler, I don't know who is a Twins player, uh, I forget, but yeah, that that's a team I know. Oda Rizzi is dealing with some injury issues, so that's you know a little unfortunate, but that's going to be a race one way or the other, and in terms of our bet. I'm fine with losing it, to be honest with you, because if the Indians get hot, I trust them to beat the Yankees a lot more than I trust the Twins to do it. 110%. Yeah. So I'll pay. 110%. If watching the Yankees lose in the ALDS, or actually, well, if they're the, they got the best record, they'll, well, they would play the wild card, though, which could still be the Indians anyway. So, it, which could be at our expense, but but one way or the other, if anybody knocks out the in, uh, the uh, the Yankees in the first round, it's worth a hundred bucks to me. <laughs> yeah, I you know I don't disagree. Look, here's the thing about the Indians and uh, any team under Terry Francona, they are not going to be scared of playing the Yankees. They they don't give a fuck. They've shown that in their playoff runs in the last three or four years. So and and by the way, and I notwithstanding who beats who, Cleveland is a team that could potentially threaten to get back to another series. Um, and so I just think overall them being in it at the end of the year makes the game more fun generally for the fan base that's going to watch the playoffs regardless of whether their team's in it or not. Yeah, and I I tweeted out I, yesterday or the day before, you know, to never count out a Terry Francona-led team. Just, you know, it's dumb to do it. And they are in a wild card right now, so if the season ends, they're going to at least play that game. But a, a Yankee fan told me, he goes, well, he goes, I wouldn't say that. He lost 3-1 to one in the World Series, you know. He he was up 3-1, to one, I mean, and, and then lost it, and then was up 2 to nothing on the Yankees and lost that one. And I can't say much for the latter series, but on that World Series run, he had Corey Kluber and a bunch of spot starters because Bauer was terrible that year and hadn't really broken out yet. He... Excuse me. He didn't do well, that. Well, if you remember, if you remember, he's a moron and, and almost cut his pinky off with a yeah. fucking uh, drone. Exactly. Look, the, the the thing about Terry Francona, okay, and I've by the way, I've read his book. If you are a Red Sox fan and have not read his book, you need to after you can listen to this to the absolute end of this podcast, uh, go buy the book and read it because it's fascinating stuff and a and a it's a nice bird's eye view into. The O through four through whatever it was twenty 
you know, 11 season. It's just really cool. But one thing about Terry Francona's teams are you never sit back and say they got out, they lost that game. Like for example, the Dodgers last thing where they all, they got all weirded out about the matchups with the Red Sox and they were like not playing their key guys that had gotten there, you know, had gotten them to that spot. All of a sudden they're running new lineup lineups out there for the first time. And at the end of the series, you're like, a lot of the reasons why they lost was Dave Roberts fucked the thing up. You never say that about a Terry Francona team. You just never say it about. And in fact, in that World Series, um, if I recall correctly, Joe Madden had a number of things that he did that were criticized, his use of Chapman or his overuse of Chapman. Um, you know, But Francona puts them in a spot to win now. Look, if they're up 2-0 when they lose a series, it's just not going to be because Terry Francona misread leaving his pitcher in too long, too short. He's just too good at managing his teams, his talents, his personalities. Um, you know, so and maybe in another podcast we can talk about my feelings about why he's not still the Red Sox manager because I have some strong thoughts on that, but we'll save that he, for another day. He's my absolute favorite of all time, and if. If the wild, if the second wild card existed while he was the manager, the Red Sox would have only missed the playoffs one time, and that was in 2006. And they never, in that in that season, they won 86 games, and that was his worst with the Red Sox. We were always competitive, and I just, uh, just so sad, you know. And I, I like to hope that he would come back someday, but it's never going to happen, you know, with John Henry owning the team. And just one last thing about that World Series run. You know, they, he had Bauer, who hadn't emerged yet. He had Josh Tomlin and uh, Clevenger, you know, and neither of them were were stellar that year. They were so injured. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, who unfortunately uh, was diagnosed with leukemia, but I, I guess that's under control. But he was one of their key guys that year, was on the DL. Their number one offensive player, Michael Brantley, was out for the season after shoulder surgery. You know, that team was not built for the playoffs, but they rose to the occasion. And I remembering hoping the matchups would work out that we could play the Indians in the in the playoffs because I knew they were injured. I'm like, we want them over, I forget who the wild cards were that year, but, you know, I didn't want to play anyone else but the Indians because I, I just knew the matchup was the best, and then they swept us, and then they beat the Blue Jays, and then they, they got all the way to Game 7 of the World Series. If any team wasn't built for it, it was that one, and... They were the little engine that could, and it was fun to watch. And Francona kind of revolutionized the super reliever role, you know, with with Miller coming in, and because he had been an eighth inning guy, but he was pitching multiple innings. And I think what did them in was they just got tired. Everybody on that team got tired, and they ran out of gas. And you know, it was unfortunate. And I'm glad the Cubs ended the curse, but. I was all for the Indians, and and I'll even say this. I'll say this right now. That run for Francona with that team was more impressive than the two Red Sox runs, I think, because we were a superpower when he managed us, and, and this team, not so much. And, 
And Madden made a ton of mistakes that series, including in Game 7 when he took out Hendricks in like the fourth or fifth inning to go to Chapman, who was absolutely gassed from either Game 5 or Game 6 and almost gave that away. The Indians hit a, a three-run shot to send it into extras and and Francona almost stole it. And I think that, that run was extremely impressive. And, I, you know... And the the Red Sox, so many people that came back to haunt them were in that series because they had on the on the Indian side it was it was uh, Francona, Miller, and Napoli on that team. There might have been one more I can't remember. And then on the other side they had John Lester. I think they still had John Lackey that year. They had David Ross, and you know and he. You know, we we were on the couch, and I guarantee you, ownership didn't watch one game of that World Series because so many of their past mistakes were haunting them. You know, for seven games there. But that's my long-winded uh, 2016 rant. Uh, well, uh, Terry, what are you? What are your thoughts? I know we don't have any matchups. Um, it looks like it's going to be some variation of price sale and porcello against the dodgers do you have any thoughts on the series although we don't really know who's pitching yet well you know we got three guys that need to step up and you know if we're gonna make some sort of a playoff run um i guess just i guess number one i want to see sale pitch effectively for at least five or six innings. His mechanics have been off. And, you know, going back to the World Series, I don't know if he was injured or not at this point because now it's it's totally open to interpretation. But he only lasted four innings in his start against the Dodgers in Game 1 and then didn't pitch again until Game 5 to get that final out. So I'm just kind of hoping, you know, we see what we saw, you know, in the month of May from him. And uh, I feel good about Price. That That's a team he, he shut down twice. Looked good today. Been our only consistent guy. And, you know, with Porcello, I'm just hoping for the best. You know, five or six innings of three or four run ball would, would be great. L- let me ask you this with Chris Sale. He's a head case. Like, there's no doubt in my mind he is healthy right now. His velocity is good, but it's all in his head. And it all happened in one inning in the Orioles series, and he hasn't been the same since. He's not the 17 strikeout guy we saw in that one start. And he used to be automatic double-digit strikeouts, and we're just not seeing it. And I think it's in his head. And when you go back to last fall – we're all thinking he was injured, and he, and he might have been, but at this point, I just I don't know how much of it was physical and how much of it was mental. Well, I think last year it was physical. I don't think there's any question about it. He just wouldn't have been missing those starts if it wasn't some sort of physical problem. This year, he's not missing starts. He's making all the starts. Um, I think he's learning to pitch differently 
he can't just rely on 97 every time he needs it because he knows that that's going to lead to not pitching in, in August and September. And so I think a lot of what's happening with, with Chris Sale is he's reinventing himself. He's in the middle of it. And he hasn't completely settled on how he wants to do it. And um, when he tries to pitch to contact, he's not doing it effectively. Um Three home runs in his last start, he gave up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he had. We, I've, I've talked about this, Terry. I don't need to see twelve strikeouts a game from him. Pitch to contact. Pitch in the strike zone at the corners, with the intention of contact, of soft contact. You know, and I know the best. They're the best at it, so it's a bad example. But you know, Glavin, Maddox, a Kurt Schilling towards the end of his career when he didn't have ninety six anymore. Th- these are guys that are you know, Hall of Famers or borderline Hall of Famers that were able to extend their career by getting people out without what they had in their late 20s. And so you cut it, you move it, you sink it, you run it, but you do it in the strike zone and you do it with the intention of getting people out so that you're more efficient with your pitches. And then if you're good at it and you still have the ability to go 97, then you have that club in your bag when you need when when it's second and third one out and you need the punch out. You go to the ninety seven. You still got it there, and you can get it because you've been pitching at ninety two, ninety three with run and cut, and you in your you've been manipulating the lineup effectively. David Price is a really good example, by the way, guy who early in his career had had plus plus fastball and could just hump it, and he doesn't do that anymore. I mean, tonight, great example. Cutters in, change-ups away, uh, very few four-seam fastballs, very few fastballs above 93, 94 miles an hour, you know, and he's just, you know, in, out, up, down, cut, two-seam, change-up, and he's pitching a contact, and he's still getting his fair share of strikeouts, but, um, and he wasn't overly efficient today, so today may not have been the best example, but he's reinvented himself, and I give, I've given David Price credit for that on this podcast, but... Uh, in my opinion, Chris Sale is still going through that transition, and I think he's going to be okay. And I think at the end of the day, he will hopefully remain healthy. And if so, because he is good enough and his stuff is good enough without ninety-seven, that he will learn how to do it. He's just—he's not going to be the same consistent dominant pitcher. The days of him running up against a potential Cy, a Cy Young type of season are probably over. But that doesn't mean he can't be a top ten starter in, in the American League. So yeah, I just I mean, he, not being able to command his slider has been a big part of it. But part of the difference, no question. Part of the difference no between question. him and Price, though, is Price throws a fastball with a lot of movement, and Sales well, he typically not. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things Chris uh, uh, Price has done is he. You know, he's he mostly throws – he doesn't throw four-seam fastballs. It's it's a cutter or he runs it. And um, you know, not to say he doesn't throw four-seam fastballs. He does. But, he you know, he throws a lot more cutters than he throws four-seam fastballs. And Chris Sale's going to have to develop that um, because I think your point is, and I agree with it, is that he's been able to rely on 97 straight as an arrow. And he can't anymore, so he's got to learn to run or cut it. Um, and I look, I think he knows that, and I think that's why I think he's trying to do that, and I think he's not quite there. 
And and by the way, you're dead on right. The slider, which should be unaffected by velocity, has not been good. And when it's in the plate, it's in its middle middle and it's getting turned around on him. Right. And then he has starts where he can't throw it for a strike, and so he's uncharacteristically behind hitters and you know, he's not what he was three years ago. So, you know, it, it you know. And then when it goes, it's it goes. He, he you know, like you said in that what was it, the uh the Orioles start? Um, you know, where it, he was just totally the, just it was the Orioles start. Yeah, he pitched yeah, five yeah, yeah. solid innings. He totally lost it. And yep. then blanked out. Yeah. And it, it part of it is mental, though. I mean, I can't, I can't come off of that completely. And I don't think anybody wants to, to you know, have that thought enter their mind. Oh, my God, Chris Sale, you know, is kind of freaking out right now and he doesn't have an answer because I mean the guy's a psychopath and you know and just hasn't hasn't been that you know in a little while so so I I, I don't know Look, here, 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 here's my thoughts on this Dodger series okay I'm excited to see what Chris Sale's going to do coming off an extended rest so he last pitched Thursday um, and he won't pitch again at least until Friday. I would I would even hesitate. I would throw him Saturday or Sunday to just maximize his rest. Oh, it's going to be Friday. Um, it, it goes sale price Porcello in that order. That's what that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd like to see them extend him a little bit more, but whatever. I'm excited to see what he's going to do coming out of the break. I mean, they all know that this is a hugely important series. This is the um, you know, this is the World Series rematch. Uh, this is the Dodgers. They're sixty and thirty-two. They should be up for the series. It's at Boston. You know, they're going to be rested. They're they're not. You know, they have a minimal contingent going to the All Star game. It lines up for them to perform here. They won't. They'll suck. They'll lose one of two. One of uh, uh they'll lose two of three or get swept. And that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, it's the ultimate temperature check because this is the best team in the league we're going up against. And I think this might be their year, finally. I mean, they're not phased by two runner-ups. And they're good all the time. It doesn't matter. Like, there's no weird factors. And, and their general manager or president, whatever his title is, Andrew Friedman, was the mastermind of the Rays all those years they were good. You know, two thousand eight through two thousand thirteen. He was you know, he was the brains behind it and he's built a juggernaut out in in, you know, Los Angeles. And they still had all those bad contracts on their books when he took over. The the Beckett Crawford and Gonzalez contracts were still there and gradually, you know, they've been, you know, expired and, and they traded Gonzalez on his final year and built up a good farm system. And, you know, that's a, that's a team that with a front office that, that, that knows how to operate. And here we are, the highest payroll might not make the playoffs. You know, we're, we're, paying a lot of money to suck so if we can come out of this series two out of three and and everybody's fired up and you you see it you know with the guys on the mound with 
guys, you know, legging out doubles, you know, and, and, and they're pumped up, then I'll be like, all right, okay, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that's the turning point, you know, maybe after the all-star break is, is the turning point. Every year, one team does go on a run that you didn't expect. It was Oakland last year. And, you know, so maybe, maybe that'll be us this year. This is an important series right off the jump. And if they do go two and three, I think you're right. I think I'll feel a lot differently about things. I just don't see it. The Dodgers are going to want these games. They're the better team. You know, they've overcome the disappointment of the World Series. We haven't had to overcome anything. We haven't had over, you know, we haven't had the injury concerns of the Yankees. We haven't had to deal with crushing defeat of the World Series. Just we're just generalized over underachievers. Um and the Dodgers are going to want this, these games, so I just I think it's going to be a dumpster fire. Now, with that said, let's say let's say what they've done in the last six days is an indication that they're trending in the right direction. Guys are at the ballpark over the break; they're staying sharp, they're getting their rest, but they're also getting their work in without the grind of you know game day after game day after game day. Then I'm really confident because then they come out of that Dodgers series and they're back playing the Blue Jays, who suck. Yeah, and, and you know now you're now you're talking about not only momentum but a nice little series there to to potentially again win two or three or sweep. It's at Boston again, and let's say you go two and three and two and three and you win, you know, four of your next six. You know, you're all of a sudden ten games over five hundred, and let's we're, we're cooking with gas. So we'll see what happens. I just I, I really think this. I've thought for a long time. I've been looking at this Dodgers series for a month. And all I see is a floating dumpster fire. I really do. And it's just coming at me, and I can't get out of the way. Yeah. And yeah, and you know who's got it turned around right now? It's Joe Kelly. So that could – I'm not going to say it can bite us because I think the contract he signed was, you know, kind of a dumb one. You know, three years, $27 million. You know, that's a lot for him. But like you said, we do come back uh, against the Blue Jays for four games. Then we have a three-game set against uh, the Orioles. So a couple of cupcake series. You take two out of three on this one, you can do at least a little bit of damage as far as the wild card standings go. But then we have a three-game set with Tampa and then... um, you know, and then a four gamer against New York. So, so we'll see. We'll see. Huge series, guys. Huge series. Enjoy the All Star game. Enjoy the festivities. I'm glad there aren't that many Red Sox in it. My parting note is uh, this: I could care less if Red Sox players make the All Star game. I'm actually excited when I hear that guys like Devers don't make it for two reasons. One, go get rest. Go get to Boston. Go do you know? Go hit batting practice. Field some ground balls for an hour every day. Go home and have some, you know, whatever. Go to the Cape for a week for a couple of days. Whatever may be the case. The second thing is it motivates people. It motivates the people that are potentially going to be great, like Devers, um, to to stay motivated. And so um, I don't need Red Sox players fucking with their swings in the home run derby. 
and guys that need rest not getting it because they got to go deal with the fuckery of All Star break. So uh, I, I'm in the minority, and I understand that. But uh, luckily, we don't have a huge contingent there, and uh, hopefully, that means we'll be ready and rested for the back half of the season. I completely agree with the home run derby. You know, I, the All Star game doesn't bother me quite as much, but the home run derby it can screw up swings. They just asked Christian Yelich. You know, are you worried that's going to screw up your swing? And he's like, no, no, not at all. My swing would never get screwed up. And then today it comes out, oh, he's got back tightness. He's going to miss it. So I don't believe in that one bit because he's not going to miss any time, they said. But, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people avoiding that whole festivity, you know, where so many backups have been brought in. So um, I think Bogarts is, is going now, you know, so – Anyway, uh, we don't know what our plans are midweek. There's going to be no point in a regular show. Uh, we might come on and try to do like a special edition show. That would be the 150th episode, so it's also a milestone. But we'll kind of work on that over the next couple of days and then be back at the uh, end of the weekend. So, Yeah, and on that part, um, we've gotten um – increasingly better feedback and um just fan interaction on twitter uh terry i'll speak from both of us to say that we do appreciate that uh, we do appreciate the feedback about the show um and then you know when we have something like this come up like a potential for a special edition your uh, comments either privately or just on the twitterverse uh would be appreciated if you have some segments you'd like to see uh, you know, feel free to tweet at us and we'll consider them in, in case we do do a special edition in the middle of the week. Otherwise, uh, good night, Sox Nation. All right. Have a good night and we'll, uh, we'll see you maybe Thursday. Take care. And for the rest of you, uh, we'll, uh, Nice to end it, you know, winning five out of six. And then a uh, nice three-day rest here. I could care less, like Jeremy just said. You know, I, I might not even watch the All-Star game. Maybe the starting lineups I might, but uh, it's uh, kind of a meaningless game, and I don't really, not really into it. So Red Sox, eight games above five hundred, nine games back. They did gain two on the Yankees. I was just looking at the Yankees schedule here. It's uh it's fairly tough one. They they do start back with Toronto, so not not too tough there, but they'll have Tampa after that, who they just split with. Uh Colorado, who is playing better. Um they'll have a three game set at Minnesota, so that could be dicey. And then they have a four-game set in Boston against us. So I don't know. It, you know, maybe there's some potential for a little bit of a skid there. Whether we can capitalize on it or not remains to be seen. But um, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the month goes because they will be active at the July 31st deadline. So. We will see, but everyone have a uh, great start to your work week. I know 4th of July is a busy vacation week, so 
if uh, if you were fortunate enough to take some time off last week, I uh, we hope you have a good uh, start to your week. You know, as well as the regular working folks, much like myself, I got to be up in uh, let's see three and a half hours to uh, to do my job. So kind of brutal to do that after a podcast night, but. Take care, everyone, and uh, maybe we'll see a Thursday, worst case, end of the weekend. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing it a line drive, left field, Ben and coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch. He did. He got it. There we go. Time to party. Right here. 3-2. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it?